uh, fancy word, just walk through it verse by verse. So you didn't miss anything last week. We just went through a brief outline and a discourse we'll go through. Tonight, we're really going to start jumping into it here in Hebrews 1. So you started at a good time. Uh, so we're glad you're with us. And uh, so uh, let's uh, open in prayer and we will get busy tonight. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather and just to uh, come underneath the influence of your word uh, one more time. I ask that you anoint everything that's spoken tonight, move spirit uh, just abundantly through our hearts and uh, with wisdom and discernment that we can just grow in your grace and uh, is what we'll look at tonight, how important and valuable that grace is. So guide us, direct us, let all this be done for your kingdom, for your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Uh, just real quickly, we talked about the book of Hebrews. We not, we're not for sure who the author is. A lot of commentary leans towards uh, Paul, some towards uh, Apollos. But, uh, you know, you can make a strong case for Apollos when you look back in Acts chapter 18. But here nor there, the book of Hebrews, without a doubt, deals with the supremacy of Christ. It's all about the clarity of breaking away from the Old Testament law and emphasizing the deliverance we have by way of grace and through Christ. And, uh, and so the whole purpose of Hebrews is to establish that superiority. And right off the bat, we see that God uh, speaks because we see quickly that he references Jesus. So it's God speaking and God's making it abundantly clear that, that this new, that by way of grace, this New Testament, this new covenant we have is greater than everything the apostles expounded upon. It's uh, Old Testament prophets, the laws, the sacrifices, the, the Levitical, uh, you know, aspects of it. So we're going to, tonight, we're going to jump in and we're going to probably get stuck in verses 1 and 2. So uh, let's look at this here and uh, we'll read it uh, aloud. It says, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, God, who at sundry times, you mean, you know, times past, and in uh, diverse manners, means a multitude of ways, spoke in time unto the fathers by the prophets. Hath in these what? Does it say next? Yeah, in these last days. You need to make note of that. Here in these last days, spoken unto us by who? Yeah, by Christ, through Christ. Is we, could, we could fairly say, I have spoken through Christ. Here in these last days, whom hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So one, there at the end, it lumps Christ into the Godhead. But two, God makes a profound statement. What jumps out at us? What can we grab here in verse 2 particularly that God makes a reference to that bridges that transition from the Old Testament law to the New Testament covenant. Pardon me? Okay, Porty Christ heir. So we can be co-heirs. We know that, correct? Scripture tells us that we can be co-heirs, so we will be co-heirs with Christ. Look there in verse 2. What, what do you see? What? Come on, we got to participate here. Just throw out answers. Huh? He speaks to us through Christ. Okay, so here we know it's God talking because God's referencing the second person in the triune Godhead. 
Okay, okay, you're, you're going down a good path there. Expound upon that. We're trying to bridge how are we bridging from the Old Testament law to the new covenant in Christ? Okay, it says, Here in these what? Last days spoken unto us by his son. Okay, so what God does here, God makes this profound statement we need to catch. The, the, he, he, he really draws a conclusion to the whole matter right off the bat. Verse 2, in all 13 chapters of Hebrew, God brings us to the conclusion of the whole matter of Hebrews that we had this greater testament, this greater covenant, this greater work, and it resides in who? In Christ. Thus, he says, it's greater than the prophets, it's greater than the law, it's greater than the Levitical sacrifices. Why? Because it's bound up in who? Jesus, in Jesus alone, right? So, is that not, think about this, is that not Christ? Just say the word Jesus Christ. Is that not the subject matter of scriptures? Okay, it is. The whole Bible's written about Jesus. So we have in the Old Testament law, everything pointed to the cross, which means everything in the Old Testament would be a what type of statement? When we think of Revelation, it's, yeah, a prophetic statement. So you have all the Old Testament uh, prophets and everything, even the Levitical laws, pointed with a prophetical approach to the coming Christ. And so it's very interesting. We got to grasp this. That again, this author through God is is bringing a conclusion right off the bat. And this conclusion is Jesus Christ. He's basically saying, "That's it. I spent four thousand years." teaching and, and prophesying to the coming of the Messiah. And now he's telling us in Hebrews chapter 1, he's pointing back to the day that that was fulfilled. And once that was fulfilled, what's left to do? Say, say nothing. Is that not it? Yeah, it is finished. That's what Christ said on the cross. The last words. Yeah, to tell us now. Last words that came out of Jesus' mouth, that Greek word there saying, it is finished. So everything that was prophesied by way of the Old Testament, every prophet, every Levitical law, what it pointed to, that through Christ it was completed and it was done. How simple is that when you think about it? So let me ask you this, now back to verse 2. When did the last days start? I could say, he says right there, in the last days, you know, with Christ, in these last days spoken unto us by the Son. So Jesus' three-year ministry, when it came to a conclusion, when he died on the cross, was buried, rose again, and before he ascended into heaven, his ministry was wrapped up, was it not? He had fulfilled the will of the Father until he comes back as a lion and sits on the throne of the rebuilt kingdom, kingdom for the millennial thousand-year millennial reign so the last day started and we love that term are we in the last days you know we say, oh, I think we are I truly believe we're in the last days but the last day started with the last word of Jesus Christ God said those were the last days 
Well, that can't be last days. That's just that's a little bit over 2,000 years. Uh, <clears throat> does God wear one of these? I don't either. Yeah, no, no, no. God doesn't wear a, a wristwatch. So what we perceive, remember, a thousand years is a, is a uh, is of a day to the Lord. So what we perceive is a thousand years, or as the day, or this time past. God said, "Well, no, pay attention. You're in the last days." And he said, well, "Well, then, okay. Well, now I can't say the last days. Then, is it the day? Well, you can't worry about that. <laughs> we don't know the day or the hour, but we do know by God's word here in Hebrews." We're in the last days. So we have been this, we, we've been living these last days since Christ. And these last days of history as we know it before the final and full establishment of his kingdom following the rapture and the onset of the thousand year millennial reign. So, with that being said, we've got to put on our thinking caps here. Again, talk out loud. Don't be worried about saying the wrong thing. Uh, in all fairness, you may come up with a point or a question that. I can't answer for you tonight, but we'll get that answer. So don't be afraid to ask anything, and we'll do our best to get through it. But with this promise we have, with this onset of Christ ushering in the last days, it puts us in the last days, and God gives us the, the uh, conclusion of the matter, so to speak, that it's about the prophetic coming of Christ, and now Christ has been here. He has fulfilled that. What then, and it's going to be hard, your thinking cap, what does that give us concerning the Word of God or by way of the Word of God? What does that give us? That what? Yeah, we don't have time, okay? So uh, being in the last days. But what's something by this promise of God, this fulfillment that's taking place, what can we hang our spiritual hat on, as they say? What, what, what does this give us? Is we're going for because I'll see Christ died a little bit over 2,000 years ago, so it's been fulfilled. So there's nothing else to be done prophetically other than the rebuilt temple and Christ's return, which is a whole nother you know ball game. So we're in this 2,000 window since Christ in these last days, and so what does that how does that deal with us? What does this period of time give us? What great assurance does it give us? Well, grace came through Christ through the cross. We'll look at. Okay, uh, there. Okay, a promise. Okay, so what can we do with promises? Well, okay, it's a sure thing because it is. Give me a word. I, I want. I want us to walk away with this word tonight. It, it, it's. Uh, I'm going to say everything but the word. It's poignant. It's factual. It's. It, it, it's. It's tangible. We can hope. It is. Let's say decisive. So th th this right here in chapter in verse two, chapter one, we got this fulfillment of this prophetical word after four thousand years that God through Christ fulfilled it, and it was done. As Christ says, Stephen said, "Great answer. It is finished." So the the prophetic promise is fulfilled. But now what we have since the cross till today, till Christ ha returns, do we not have a definitive? decisive word of God how do we know that we got to be able to answer that it we do but we we need to know why we do 
Point being, he, God, explicitly made provision for this. God made provision that we can have this assurance, this confidence, this abundance of, of hope, which should cause our faith to thrive. But yet, huh? Yeah, the inheritance we have through by way of the cross. The Holy Spirit and gifted to us. That's a great point. Uh, didn't have that in my notes. That'd be a strong point there. So, you know, here's the point. Least, if we don't have a definitive truth, if we don't have an absolute moral, structural truth that's definitive, does that not leave, leave the Word of God open to generational interpretation? It kind of goes on now, does it not? Look how many endless religions we have. Every religion is man-made, and it's derived from what? Man's personal interpretation of God's Word. And so even with this definitive, decisive truth we have by way of Christ and the fulfillment that showed the, the strength and the power of God's Word, we still ended up with mass denominations by man still wanting to take, you know, a little bit of it and, and, and take, a, you know, a portion of Scripture and, and build a, a, you know, a doctrinal denomination off of it. So it's already prone to personal interpretation. So this Word of God, being i.e. the person of Christ, which God told us there in verse 2, the teaching of Jesus and the work of Jesus captured by the inspiration of the uh, apostolic writings the apostles was called the New Testament. So the New Testament kiss consists of, it only now reflects back to the fulfillment of the prophetic promise, and now it guides us by way of the word all the way through until the, uncom on, until the onset of the next prophetic promise, the return of Christ. And so everything the New Testament tries to do is now not pointing us to a promise, but pointing us back to reflect on a promise. And the more that we can grasp that promise and the, and the sufficiency of it and the decisiveness, decisiveness of it, then the more we can grow in Christ and the more we see the, uh, the supremacy of Christ. There you go. Yeah, that's what it is. Roll said, he, uh, what's your name, Joshua? Joshua said, the, the New Testament is a story of, say it one more time. Promise fulfilled. So it's still referencing the same promise. You know, the Old Testament's were telling a story of a promise to come. The New Testament tells a story of a promise that has been fulfilled. But here's the beauty of it. That's why Hebrews chapter 11, we'll get there way down the line maybe if the rapture doesn't happen. But we know Hebrews chapter 11 is a hall of faith chapter. I love that chapter because I love that verse. I think it's verse 13 if I remember correctly. He says, I'm having to paraphrase it, they live by faith unknown. Why? Because, is that, oh, thank you, Mark. These all died in faith, not having received what? Oh, the promise. And we got it, do we not? And yet, how much do we still struggle in our faith? And we get to look back 
to everything God said in the Old Testament was fulfilled, barring the end-time prophecies. Daniel, Ezekiel, those are out there. But concerning Christ, is there anything concerning Christ in the Old Testament that has not been fulfilled by Christ's coming? Say no. And yet, we struggle in our faith, and you got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and these patriarchs, you know, Elijah and Elisha, the, the, these people we look up so to as, quote, spiritual heroes. And as Joshua said, they had nothing but hope in a promise to come. And yet still says Abraham got saved by faith, just like us. And yet we got people today that don't want to accept the gospel that can look back on the promise fulfilled, and Abraham had no problem accepting it, and it was thousands of years before it ever came. So this shows we have. We need to grasp and understand we have this abundant privilege. We have this abundance of hope that we get to look back with certainty. That everything God has promised for 4,000 years, he delivered on. Now we're living in the 2,000 part of it in the New Testament. And our job is to understand this decisive, definitive promise we still have today. That is the most powerful thing we have. And it deals with the supremacy of Christ. Christ that trumps everything. It's a final authority. It's a final promise. It's a final fulfillment. It should make us be able to walk with a magnitude of faith. And yet, look how much we still struggle. Vicki and I were talking today, and it, it may be the sermon if it doesn't change, but how many times do we get stuck in our faith? Because we got, but, but God, what if, not, you know, what if? We meet what if. What if I stop keeping my word like I have for 6,000 years? What if? I can understand if I didn't keep my word six weeks ago or six months ago. It's been 6,000 years and I haven't not kept my word yet. So does it make sense to say, but what if? But we do, do we not? Consider the fact that the whole Bible points to a specific, unifying, absolute, decisive truth and promise. Christ crucified. That's what the Bible, you can surmise the Bible to Christ crucified. That's what it points us to, the cross. Now, by, by way of that, the Old Testament foretold of it. Again, prophetically promised. Whereas the New Testament fulfilled it and finalized it, which made both decisive and finite and, and, and definite in our approach. In it through Jesus and then calls the believer, us, by faith to accept this decisive work and follow in it wholeheartedly. Why? Because God's promises, the, the, the supremacy of Christ is what it's all about. So back to our question, we, we, we got to the point that we have this decisive, definitive word. Can anybody think, where, think of a scripture that embodies that maybe more than any other scripture? 
Kim talked about grace right off the bat. It deals wholeheartedly with grace. Somebody look at, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10, if you can grab those, Mark. i tell you what, no, this is part we got the screen for. should be on the screen. I hope you can read that. We're going to work on, on bigger fonts. If you're online, you can see it real good. I have no idea what you just said. Anyway. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to have a, yeah. So, that's what you get for being a back row Baptist. You don't get to see the good stuff. So, uh, so anyway, so look here. Ephesians chapter 2, we're familiar with this passage. But notice it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he has loved us, even when we are dead in trespasses, did what? Made us alive made us alive together with Christ by what? Oh, by grace. You have been what? Saved and raised up with him, is seated with him in high places. What? In Christ. In Christ. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches that's what we have by this decisive, definitive word. It brings forth this immeasurable riches by way of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the what? Gift. Done by way of what? What did the cross, what did the, I gave the answer, what did the gift come through? Through the cross. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not the results of works, so that no one may boast. For it is his what? Ah, his workmanship. Created in, there's a word again, in Christ for good works which God prepared for him. Now, when we see a verse like this, and we're going to point some more things out here. One, if we can do this, one, we've got to look at the objective aspect of it. Now, what do we mean by objective? Say factual. Yeah, it's factual, uh, factual data is actually, I think, how it's you know, defined. It's factual data without personal opinion or influence. It's not biased to our opinion. It's objective truth versus... Who does it deal with? It deals with us, which would mean it'd be what? Say subjective. And when we say subjective, what do we mean? Based on, yeah, based on personal experience. I know that might be hard to read up there. So we got to look at this through the objective lens of God's authoritative word, the decisiveness, this infinitive, you know, fact of truth. Then how it applies to us, the believer, who always approach the word subjectively. 
You know, uh, well, yeah, Josh is doing that. That's, that's a good, better than a word. You read a verse, and you're like, uh, don't know if I get that out of it. I know Todd said that Sunday. Brother Brad said this. I don't know about that. I, I don't feel that. It's how we live out life. It's how we take God's word in. Does it have a decisive, definitive nature to our life? Yes. We say yes. That's the right answer. You know, Stephen gets a little star, you know. But do we live it out in our faith? There's a challenge. Or does it have a subjective promise to us? Depending on what life's done to us, where we've been, how we've been hurt before, how we think God did or didn't, you know, come through for us. But we always got to remember there's an objective, definitive promise to it. Now, notice in here, when you look at verses 4 through 7, is there anything within that other than one negative connotation? What is that? Because nothing else in verses 4 through 7 have anything to do about us. But it makes one statement that involves us. And what's that statement? Ah, the only thing that pertains to us is that we were dead in our trespasses. That's it. Everything else in 4 through 7 points back and is in conjunction with Hebrews chapter 2 that we got this su su supremacy, this superiority of Christ, and by way of God's prophetic promise fulfilled, that we have these sure and abundant promises that objectively takes care of everything concerning us, mainly our trespasses that bring about our death. Does that make sense there? Do, you, do we see this, the, the power of this verse here in Ephesians chapter, you know, chapter 2? Because it goes on, made alive with Christ, i.e. that co-heirs that Stephen was, taking, you know, was talking about. They were co-heirs with Christ. By the grace we have been saved, raised up. That word there, if you have the King James, I'm doing this in the ESV, would probably, if you're in the King James, would be the word quicken. We, we, we were brought to life. What was dead was now brought alive by way of God's promise in and through Christ. And with him, being Christ, he seated us with him again in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace, there's what Kim pointed out early on, have you been saved now? We jumped up to eight. Now, we're brought back into the picture. One, there in, in what was it, verse 5, is uh, Gamma. Is that your name, Gamma? That's our new name, Gamma. And so it's new to us, not new to them. But uh, so pointed out that, you know, the only thing we're involved is that we were dead in our trespasses. Now we get to verse 8. After we see these rich mercy of God that we have, Verse 8, we're brought back into the picture, but what role do we now pray, uh, play in this definitive work of God? Faith. Faith. God says, look, you have nothing to offer. 
in all the supremacy of Christ, you have nothing to offer. Everything was done by the cross and by way of the cross. You were dead. Us, we, we were dead in our trespasses. But now, through Christ's redemptive work, by the fulfillment of the prophetic promise, now we have this great privilege that by faith we get to walk in to this decisive, definitive work of God. And Christ did all the work. Huh? Nothing we have to do. Accept the gift. It's a gift of God. That whoso was it Rome, uh, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever. I put my name in there when I was 16 years old. Back in 1979. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That ushers in our faith. This is what God asks us to bring to the fulfillment of His work. It's to act by faith. It is not of your own doing. Can't work our way to heaven, can we? How can we, how can man that was dead in his trespasses, how can that dead corpse of a soul add anything to the definitive work of God? Nothing. We have nothing to add to it. But maybe some more nails to drive into Jesus' hands and feet. That's all we have to add. But it is the gift of God, not the results of work, again, repetitive there, that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship in Christ Jesus only for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, within this, you, you know, we here's the point that I want to bring out to you. No matter how decisive, or, or because of how decisive, I can say, and definitive this discourse is concerning God's Word, it's authoritative, it's absolute. When we complain that we don't hear the Word of God, or we don't feel a desire to hear the Word of God, or we just don't feel moved in the Word of God, and we get frustrated at the Word of God, it doesn't speak to us in the ways we're looking for, it doesn't meet our craving, what are we really saying? Because can we blame it on this inferior work? Is it an incomplete work that doesn't meet our needs? No, it's decisive, it's definitive. Remember right back there in verse 5, God was rich in mercy and full of grace to give us everything we need. So when we look at the Word of God and we say it's not fulfilling us, it's not completing us, it's not everything we want, what we're saying is that we've exhausted this final decisive Word revealed to us in the fullest infallible way, and it's not meeting my needs. Can we say that? We shouldn't say that. There's no way we should say that. So if we have these complaints, I hate to use that word, if we have these complaints when it comes to the Word of God and discerning truth and growing in grace and, and feeling incomplete and, and lost and, and, and you know lack of direction, maybe we need to ask these words. Have I really exhausted the Word of God? Ooh. Pardon me? 
yeah, read a little bit further or reread what you just read. So we have to be honest. Have I really exhausted the Word of God? Has it become so much part of me that it has shaped my very being and given me the life and guidance that sustains me and fulfills me? Because there's no way we can be all in to the Word of God and be running half empty. Was it C.S. Lewis? I think it's C.S. Lewis, or maybe it's Charles Spurgeon. He says, if there's, uh, what does he say? There's a, uh, oh, how does he say? If there's not joy in your soul, there's a leak in your Christianity. As he says, it's something like that. So, have I just lightly treaded through it? Have I skimmed it like a newspaper? Have I clicked on it like some quick series on the internet? Some posting, some ism, some quick, you know, picture scripture? Or have I decided that I want nothing different other than what the Word of God promises me? That's what we got to look at. That's why we got to weigh this. So, when it comes back, all the way back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir, appointed heir to all things, but whom also he hath made the worlds. It speaks more than anything in the Scriptures what Christ's life reveals. And God had pretty much endless prophets, endless teachings. He says, all that's good, and all that's fine, and all that pointed to something, but now I have sent you, and I have fulfilled that promise with the final authority. And it's the supremacy of Christ. And it's decisive. And it's definitive. And it's all we need. The question is, are we exhausting it? Are we laboring in the Word of God? Are we seeking those riches? Are we seeking those promises? Or are we looking for somebody to post the right thing on Facebook that jazzes us that morning for the day? And it's so good we repost it and make a comment. Oh, what a blessing. And that's our depth and word of God for the day. That's not the definitive work of God. It's not a pretty picture with the scripture tied to it. Yeah, <laughs> sunset's gone down on the picture and all that. Yeah, all that stuff. So, give me some feedback here. These first two chapters of Hebrews, what jumps out to you? Because this is what God's telling us, very clear. God's speaking to us. He's given us this definitive, authoritative, all-supremacy word. And it comes through the life of Christ. That he fulfilled the Old Testament word. And he's the final truth for us to live through in the New Testament word. Our job in the New Testament is not to have to redefine anything. It's just to live in the promise. Abraham, they didn't get to live in the promise. They had to live strictly by faith, imagining the promise. We get to live in it. I'd be, be like growing up and hear about and see that they're building Disney World. 
And you hear all about Disney World. Disney World's coming. Disney World this. It's this and that. Then you grow up in the age you get to go to Disney World. That's a poor analogy. That's what we have. So what are some thoughts here? Here's a feedback. It's faith. Yeah, we started in faith with our salvation, and our very next step is based on what? Faith. And the step, it, it, it's just continuing, continuing to walk in faith. That's all we're driven to in, in the New Testament. I was talking to my sister this morning, and early this morning, and I posted it to the, to the men. In Genesis chapter 12, you got the story, of course, uh, Abraham and, and, and Lot and all of them, but Abraham and Sarah get to Egypt. And, uh, and, of course, he gets there, and you know the story. He says, look, you know, we know you're a pretty woman. They're going to see you're pretty. The Pharaoh's going to kill me and keep you. And, and so he says, so what we're going to do, we're going to come up with this plan, and we're going to tell him you're, our, you're my sister and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm having to paraphrase, but it, it says that Abraham uh, got, you know, got Sarah to go along. So, uh, well, I don't want to just paraphrase it. I don't have, where's it at here? I'm not going to do it justice if I don't read it. But he talks about, he gives credit, and he hangs his hat uh, on Sarah. I left my phone at home. It'd be a lot faster. What did I? Uh, it came to pass when he was coming near to Egypt, that he said to Sarah's wife, Behold, I know thou art fair a woman to look upon. Verse 12. And Abraham was still talking. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians see the, his wife, and they'll kill me, but they shall stay alive. 13. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that, I, that it may be well with, uh, with me for thy, whose sake? Yeah. But in, 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 the, in the ESV, it reads easier. It says, you know, it says, uh, uh, with me. For your sake. So what Abraham is saying that, look, we're going to lie that, but, you know, because by way of you being my sister, I'm going to have peace. Now let's go back to verse 3, Mark, and see what Abraham forgot. God speaking to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I, him who dishonors you, I will. It took Abraham 10 verses to come up with his own plan. Here's God's promise. I, I will I'll deliver you. Whoever curses, you know, 
dishonors you, I will curse. And he gets ten verses down, and Abraham says, Oh, wait a second, I got a plan here. Totally forgot about the promise of God. And he says, We're going to do this because if you're my sister, that through you I will be blessed. Sarah had no authority or power to curse anybody or to protect Abraham. It was God, and he gave up on us. So what Gamma is saying is so true is what my sister and I were talking about. We see the temporal right before our eyes, do we not? And we can't see the aspects of glory. If decisions like this that come into our lives, if we can see the temporal and the eternal side by side, if you be faithful, this is what's going to happen. This is the result. But we don't have it. We just have it as a promise. We see the temporal, but here's the problem. Do you see how hard it was for the Old Testament saints? They look forward to the promises to come. Why can't we do that with the eternal glory to come when we act in faith? We can't do it. Yet Abraham and all the Old Testament saints, they could. We get to get saved looking back. Wow, God did do what he said he'd do. They had to look back and say, we're going to take God's word that he will do what he said he'll do. And yet when we get like Abraham moments in our lives and we got God's promise to deliver us and protect us and never forsake us and always be there for us, and then we do just like Abraham, we devise our own schemes and plans on how we're going to get through this. And give up on the promises of God. So good point, Charlotte. Anybody else? Jumps out, Hebrews 2. Okay. Yes. Yep. And there, you know, I see what you're saying. Vicky brought up a good point. I think there's merit to it. Is it's not that we denounce God's word, don't believe it. We know it's His word. We know it's true. But I'm gonna come up with my own plan because. What if God's deliverance is a Joseph or Job path of deliverance? And we don't want that path. I know you'll get me through it, God. I know somehow it will work out for your glory and my good. Jeremiah 29, 11, we all love to quote and have posted everywhere. I know we believe it will, but I don't want that blessing to come through a path of like Joseph and Job. So I'm going to come up with my own plan and get a softer landing or a sh smoother path. I think there's a lot of truth that sometimes. Hey, well, we probably, no, we don't, but I think there's some truth to that. We, we, we believe the outcome, we just don't like the path to get to that outcome. 
And so we try to devise our own path to go down that might not be, quote, as, quote, as challenging as rough. Suffered. Yeah. And, and Christ had that same path, did he not, in the Garden of Gethsemane? I mean, to pray droplets of blood, we got to go here. You know, he had his measure of anxiety or fear or, you know, not doubt, you know, for him to say, Lord, you know, can this cup be removed from my lips? But what Christ was able to do that we can't always say, but thy will be done. And if it means going down the path of a Job or a Jacob or Joseph, so be it. Yeah. And, that, and we won't get there if we can't grasp the supremacy of Christ and that that's a final authority. It's a final truth. It's the decisive, definitive path for us. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to, to have the eyes of God for sure in the matter. Let me close with this analogy that he said there back in verse 2. He said, hath in these last days. What if we could see the last days? What if we could see the funnel coming to the fact and we see that we're in a, let's say we're in a three-year window. Think of your Social Security. The last three years of your income are weighted significantly towards your retirement benefits. And so a lot of people will say, I'm going to push through and try to work to 65 or maybe even 66. Or I get that extra little two or three more years to my benefit. So what if we could see that finite of these last days and it was about to happen? Would, you, would we struggle as much with being obedient? But then we think, well, yeah, pastors, all last days. I watch last day stuff on YouTube all the time. It's Paul thought he was in the last days you can see in First and Second Corinthians. So you see all these last days. Well, God says, yeah, God says we're in the last days. Should we not be even more focused on our faith and obedience in Christ? Just because we don't think it's really going to be in the next day or week or month or Maybe not even a year. Yeah. 
True. Yeah, I mean, 1948, when Israel, after being dispersed for over 2,000 years, became a nation again through the UN and established, Christians should have been shouting from high heaven, we're in the last moments. The Word of God says we're in the last days when Christ rose again. Then 1948, and Israel becomes a nation, prophetic, one of the greatest prophetic promises in the end times that we've laid our eyes on is Israel becoming a nation. And yet our obedience to God has dwindled in Christianity. Yeah, there, uh, will there be any faith on the earth when I return? We don't read it enough. We got to exhaust the word of God. If Christ is the final authority, and he is, he's the fulfillment of the promise. God says, I've given him to you. He has fulfilled my word. And now in the New Testament, we're commanded and called to live to the fullness of his word. We can't do that if we're not exhausting the word of God in our life. Amen? All in one little bitty verse. And we only got 13 more chapters and about 11 more verses. Amen? All right, let's close in prayer. We'll go, Father, thank you tonight. And uh, that we can, uh, as we start walking through the book of Hebrews here, that and just one promise that you gave us in one verse, that we're in the last days. Doesn't matter what YouTube says or any pastor with prophetic visions, you've told us we're in the last days. That can even be magnified as we talk through 1948 in Israel. But, Father, you have fulfilled your promises of the Old Testament. Every prophetic truth concerning Christ has been fulfilled. And it made it, and you told us, it's the final authority. It's the supremacy of truth for our lives. If we're in the last days, which we are, how much more should we be just absorbing your word and walking in that truth and living by faith and obedience? knowing that your, 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 the, the riches of your mercy and your grace affords us that opportunity. Help us to take this to heart and uh, to grow in that grace and to understand how imperative it is, your word, your word for our lives. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.